Welcome to Design Me a House. This is Katie Hutchison, architect, designer, author, and with me is co-host Dawn Oliveira, textile designer and educator. Today in Season 2, Episode 19, uh, we have a guest in the Big Ideas category of the podcast. With us is Emily Gaylord of the Center for Echo Technology. Um, I have a little bio of Emily that I will read just as an introduction. Um, Emily Susan Gaylord is the Director of Communications and Relationships Development at the Center for Echo Technology, uh, which is abbreviated CET. Uh, CET envisions a world that has embraced and advanced just and resilient climate solutions. By building connections across the country, Emily and her team tell the CET story bolstering the mission to innovate, implement, and scale the environmental solutions that communities need to thrive. In this decisive decade for climate action, Emily invites you to commit to the meaningful changes that allow you to be an agent of radical impact. Emily has been at CET for nearly a decade and has been working in the nonprofit sector since she graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst with a BA in nonprofit administration. Welcome, Emily. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Wow, CET sounds so amazing. I love it. It does, right? Well it. done. <laughs> it must be because you are amazing. Wow. So um, we found the Center for Echo Technology only because I was like Google searching around looking for someone to speak with us about waste reduction in the residential realm. But I have since learned that CET is so much more. Emily, you were describing when we had our little brief intro chat. I wonder if you could just kind of give us an overview of, of what CET is and does. Sure. And and um, this is something I talk about all the time, and I still have a hard time with brevity, but I'll do my best. So <laughs> CET was founded in the 70s. A lot of environmental nonprofits were founded in that time. And where CET really thrives is kind of in this innovation into the marketplace space. And what I mean by that is we'll get the heartbeat of something like a home energy assessment, for example, is something we started in the 70s. Once we feel like the market can kind of take care of it on its own, we introduce it, and then we explore something else. And so back when we were founded, for example, recycling was a brand new concept. We had a truck, we were going door to door collecting people's paper. Now, of course, curbside recycling, and there's a whole industry behind it. And so now what we do is work across the country in various ways. Um, We do high performance buildings. So that's building um, the built environment to really high building practices using um, net zero and passive house design, um, home energy ratings, things like that. We work across the country doing wasted food solutions. So we'll work with state agencies to figure out how you in practice help businesses and institutions reduce their wasted food um, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island and kind of in the Northeast Corridor. We also do some comprehensive recycling assistance um, for businesses. And then uh, we also own and operate a reuse store. So um, if you're home remodeling or building new um, or even a supplier that has excess stock, that's all product that we can take at our reuse store and then we sell it back into the community for deeply discounted prices. Which is so fantastic. Yes. I think Dawn and I honed in early when we were looking at your website on the stuff you're doing in the residential realm, in the residential Mm -hmm. market. Um, And we have on the podcast previously, Dawn, done some discussion of um, 
kind of the other side of, of what you provide, um, the ratings assistance and systems and whatnot, um, which we can get into again, but I thought we could kind of start off addressing um, the waste reduction part of mm -hmm. what you guys do. Um, and maybe you could just kind of, because I went to your website, which actually it was pretty clear, Emily. I think last time when I went to your website, I just chose my channel, you know, so I just saw what I was specifically looking for. But it just depends, like, what you tab mm -hmm. on, how much yeah, you learn about CET. Yeah. So let's tell folks, what is the website for the organization? Uh, it's centerforecotechnology.org. And um, what you're describing is you can kind of select, I'm looking for solutions at work or at home or on site if you're a contractor. And we funnel you through either waste reduction or energy efficiency services from there. Exactly. And so the energy efficiency part of the equation is something that we touch on periodically, mm -hmm. but I'd, I'd loved exploring the waste reduction side. Could you maybe give us um, an intro into some of that? Yeah. So one of the things that we're really focused on in this decade is decarbonization and really as that's entered the national narrative, really trying to connect what we do with decarbonization. And I think for a lot of us, energy is very implicit in that. We understand that energy has carbon. We understand to some extent that things like solar and wind can offset that. Um, but waste has a carbon impact as well. And in fact, um, there's a resource I love, Project Drawdown, um, that says that reducing our wasted food specifically is in, the, um, I think it's the third top most impactful solution to reversing oh, the wow. climate crisis. Wow. Um, and I can certainly go into that if we want. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, before I do, I will say that one of the things that we've been really focused on, certainly um, we do a lot of what we would call boots on the ground assistance. So as for um, commercial entities, we'll actually go into a business and kind of look at the waste stream and say, okay, here are all of your opportunities. Um, if you, for instance, divert this for composting and this for feeding people, um, and maybe this goes to animal feed or something like that, what we can see is that mm -hmm. reduces both the weight and the volume of disposal or um, trash or rubbish or whatever word you want to use. Right, right. Um, and we can actually start to see some cost neutrality there because people can increase their recycling, increase everything else, and then it decreases the um, trash burden on these um, businesses. We also do training and signage and things like that. At home, for all of us on this call and perhaps your listeners, um, one of the things that we've been really focused on is not fighting the narrative, but maybe trying to redirect the narrative that individuals can't do anything um, mm -hmm. because one of the things I say all the time is, you know, you need activists to pass policy, you need legislature leaders to put that into law. Um, but then what do you do with that? Like someone still has to do the things that were stated in practice. And that's really where we come in is to kind of handhold. And so um, whether that's on the business side with all of that or on the residential side, we're just providing resources. We go to community events, talking to people, um, hosting webinars, things like that, to just really show that what you do in your day-to-day -day life really does matter, and we have the data to support it. Talk to us um, about composting. Say people are interested in composting. W what should they be thinking of? How do they start? Yeah, great question. Um, and maybe even before I get to composting, I would introduce this concept of the food recovery hierarchy. Um, and okay. I can absolutely share a graphic about this. This comes from the EPA. And the mm -hmm. idea is before we even get to composting, 
you want to reduce your waste first, right? So shop in your pantry before you go grocery shopping. I know I was just in my fridge and I'm like, we need to stop buying green onions. Every time we go to the grocery store, we (laughs) have green onions. We use three of them in a recipe. We forget that they're there. So just making sure that you're actually kind of on top of what you have and reducing it from the start. The next thing you'd want to do is feed hungry people. So making sure that if you have things that can say be donated, um, shared with your local food pantries and things like that, that you're considering that before throwing it away. Um, Certainly in the commercial sector, that works really, really well but even at home you might have like you bought extra beans a long time ago um, for some recipe that you've never used and and just finding a way to even share it with your neighbors or something like that then it's feed animals and this again works really well um, on the commercial sector but even if you have I know I have chickens next door so whenever I have food scraps I ask them if they want them before I even compost them Um, Then we get into energy, which is where if you ever see those big anaerobic digesters at farms and things like that, that's actually taking waste and converting it into energy. And then we get to compost. And that's not to say we shouldn't all be composting, but the idea is there's actually a lot we can do with wasted food before it ever reaches that compost level. And you'll notice I say wasted food a lot instead of food waste, because I really want us to be thinking about, is it genuinely food waste, like food scraps and things like that, or is it whole edible food that we are wasting um, that could be used in a different way? When it comes to composting, there's a lot of ways to get started. Um, And I think people can feel really intimidated by it because when you read about composting, it can get really scientific and really technical really quickly. You're thinking about the hydrogen mix and the nitrogen mix and does it have enough heat? Um, But a lot of that happens for us. Mother nature is really good at Mm -hmm. this. This happens all the time. A friend of mine said he just kept piling leaves behind his house and he went to get rid of them and they were gone. They just turned into dirt. Um, So this is... Let me weigh in right there. People do that all the time. And as an architect, I'm going to say, please don't. Don't pile them against your house because it does turn into dirt, your garage, and the base of your garage rots. I can't tell you how many garages have have failed because of this practice. Well, so that's just a side in note. the yard behind yeah. a tree. Something. Just don't put things against your building. Or even better, put it in your compost. This is perfect. Exactly. This is a mutually yeah. beneficial yeah. discussion. And yes. actually, this whole Please. practice of raking leaves. I mean, I understand sometimes you have a real excess, but again. Our planet is designed to take care of these things. And if you just leave it, it's just going to break down. They'll feed your yard. They'll feed all the animals that live there. It's it's just fine. But basically, when it comes to composting, you really do want two parts browns, one part green. It's the easiest way to think about that. And so those leaves and everything that we're talking about count. So does cardboard, paper towels, things that break down really easily. And then those greens Mm -hmm. are things like your food scraps. And you just want to kind of layer. You want your browns and then your greens and then your browns. You can do things like keep it damp, keep it hot, all of those practices. And mix it, right? You have to kind of move it around. Yeah, it really depends on your system. Um, So if you have... um, like a pile, a genuine pile or um, a pallet 
system where you've just kind of screwed together some pallets, then yeah, that mixing is really important. Some of the bins actually come on a rotator so you can rotate them. Oh, we sell nice. um, at Eco Building Bargains, our reuse store, we do sell some food grade uh, plastic. I think they're used for grape seed oil or something like that. And they're repurposed into compost bins. So you can just, wow. sometimes they do get heavy and you have to kind of do a run and push, but they do work very well. <laughs> and then the um, system that I have, you just layer it and over time it breaks down and you just pull from the bottom um, and that works really well. And the reason to do this is not only to divert your wasted food um, scraps, but it's also to, if you're a gardener, it's great soil amendment. They actually call it black gold because it's so nutrient rich mm -hmm. for your um, soil. Um, it also, for me, Honestly, I, I wish I could say that my number one reason to do this is climate, but it's actually because I think it's gross. Like, I don't like having <laughs> stinky food scraps in my trash. I so much prefer yeah. them being out. It reduces things like fruit flies and pests in your home. It's cleaner. Um, obviously, I'm a climate girl. That's the heartbeat of what I do. But I love that when I open my trash, it doesn't smell. I think that that is <laughs> bragging. Right. And we're talking, we're talking about vegetables and you know and leaves and such but not cooked food we're talking about right. raw food we're talking about so if you're a residential compost site yes we want to talk about things like fruit scraps um, vegetable peels things like that um mm -hmm. A lot of town transfer stations, so where I live, um, I actually bring all of my waste to the to the transfer station, which is the very nice word for dump. Um, but they yep. also have a compost bin there, and that's where I take things like any um, food scraps that are cooked oh. or animal proteins, things like that, bones and stuff like that can be processed in a commercial uh, oh. compost system. What if you live some, somewhere where you don't have place? Uh, yeah, for your most own places around here, it's just a dump, you know. Yeah. yeah. So there's something called vermicomposting. And whenever I talk about this, I'm like, people are going to think I'm nuts to <laughs> imply that you should do this in your house. But use worms. And there's a worm called the red wiggler. Um, and what you do is you, you can set it up with just a couple bins and you drill some holes in and you put your food scraps in with some leaves and things like that. And the worms will eat your food scraps. And then you still get all of the benefits of composting. You get this incredible soil amendment from the worms because you're getting worm castings as well as the broken down food. You can do this under your sink. I've seen people just set up a little bin system underneath their wow. sink. They don't even really need to think about it very often. Um, you just, you know. Okay, so I gotta say my, my gross factor is going off. I know. It does sound I know. like <laughs> I don't see myself putting that under the sink. What, um, what is there some like a distribution system? Say you've got just like countertop compost collection mm -hmm. that you're doing, uh, but you don't have anywhere outside to put it. Is there like community-based ways, like for instance, different like, farms or markets? To do or... with your dirt, you mean? You now yeah, have all this beautiful yeah. dirt? Well, you can certainly just use it as typical potting soil in your own, your plants in your house. I would say share it with neighbors is another thing you can do. You can post on those um, social media sites, those buy nothing groups or plant groups. Lots of people will be happy to take it off your hands. There is also some curbside composting businesses available. So just like you put out your trash and 
recycling, there are some mm-hmm. haulers who will take your compost. So I know quite a few people um, in various places in the country that take advantage of that, where they don't want to deal with it. They want someone else to just take it for them. And that's just a subcontracted process. Now, in that case, then you're introducing, you know, the carbon footprint of the vehicle that's coming to retrieve. Perhaps. But I, if you're already, um, like, everything's kind of, I always think about it as what's the event, like, it's like a return on investment, right? Right. So if all of these people are now diverting food scraps, that's probably going to offset that one truck that's going around. Um, there's also a group, um, out here called the pedal people and they're actually a bike compost oh my pickup service and i'll tell you when i see those calf muscles going up the hill with all of their bins behind them i'm like wow i should have been a pedal person they must be you know, I, see, I love that i see that to me I, you know yeah you just you need to connect with with homeowners and what they're willing to do and and what if they care about something what route do they want to take um yeah. So I'm loving this, the pedal thing. Yeah, the um, pedal people, they're super cool. Um, I see them all, they're uh, local to me, but I i know that they're not unique, that other groups like right. them exist. Um, and they're super committed and they do amazing work. And they'll awesome. also um, audit your waste stream. So they'll make sure to tell you like, FYI, you had some of these items in here. They're not actually compostable for the future. Um, one of the big contaminants is what we would call that is compostable uh flatware people buy that at the store thinking they can put it in their residential posters but that's something that really does need to be processed at a commercial facility okay so if if folks were to go to your website there's a lot of information on there about composting right and Mm -hmm. it might have some guidelines about what to compost and and whatnot yeah yeah and i would say if you go to at home reduce waste, which is what you were talking about earlier. Um, We have quite a few articles that we've written about exactly this, including vermicomposting. And I know your ick factor is going off, but you stop noticing it. They're just like, it's just this thing, this little ecosystem that's happening. Um, And it's a great, if you've got young children, it's an amazing way to get them involved because they want to feed the worms. Well, they're interested in the worms. Right, right. Um, Right, It's a very cool way to explain what's happening all around us all the time and one of the things that we talk about often is when we talk about the climate crisis Mm. we talk a lot about the planet but actually the planet knows how to take care of itself it's us right it's us interfering right we want to be a species that survives and the more that we can live in concert with our surroundings i think the easier that's going to be the more we see ourselves as part of this ecosystem and not separate from it and so that's where the more we can start to engage people in this process and understand what it is and see all of these benefits you know like i'm a busy mom i work full time for me the motivation to compost which predates me ever working for the Center for Ecotechnology is also what I just talked about. I want it to be smell free. I hate fruit flies. I know we all do when they come in and then you have to set up your weird little fruit fruit fly trap. I mean, that's grosser than vermicomposting, (laughs) I think. Um, So I just like that it's one less thing to clean, one less thing to keep tidy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this year I finally did my raised garden beds, but I'd never really had a vegetable garden before. So now I'm using it for that. But I just liked diverting it, all of that material from the waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a quick question. Maybe it's not so quick. I, you hear a lot, or I hear a lot these days about 
the plastic recycling efficiency, um, maybe it's more in the Northeast, I'm not sure. The paper and tin, like cans, fine, that can get recycled. But when it comes to plastics, that there's an inefficiency in um, some of the, I guess, the companies that are doing that, that are actually recycling plastic. I actually heard some professor, I forgot who it was, say, don't even bother recycling plastic. And I'm sure that's not the answer. Um, but do you know anything about how what how that works in Massachusetts? Is it efficient? Okay, so a little bit of a, um, I almost said can of worms, but I feel like we've got to move on from worms. <laughs> um, so there is a great resource called Recycle Smart Mass. I don't know if Rhode Island has the same thing, but it doesn't matter. It will work for both. And I'll make sure to send you the link um, that talks cool. about how to recycle everything. You can just type it in and it will tell you how to recycle. The problem with plastic is, it's not a problem with plastic. Let me say this. The benefit of metal and glass is it's metal and glass, right? It's just metal being turned back into metal or glass being turned back into glass. Plastic is all kinds of different things that have been used for that plastic, different um, materials, etc. So for instance, Black plastic is really hard to recycle for two reasons. One, the machines have trouble seeing it. Two, it can mix in the colors and people don't want black plastic mixing in, right? So there's just a lot more work for the user. And what? And when I say user, I mean there's people who work in these facilities who are sorting all of these things. Right. Um, another question we get a lot is what we would call like tanglers, like plastic bags, cords, things like that can really jam Uh up a machine. And then there's people who have to go and untangle that, you know, it's a risk. So it's not that you shouldn't recycle plastic. It's that you should be as educated as you can about it. Um, Another thing is, you know, people talk about rinsing their plastics. Why is that? Well, that can a, talk about gross, like if you're someone who's sorting all of that and there's jam right. and peanut butter and mayonnaise all over things, like right. really yucky. Okay. Um, but it's also just keeping the waste stream as clean as possible. And so one of the things we talk about is there's something called wish cycling, like people who really want to recycle will do something called wish cycling. Like, I wish I could recycle this, so I'm going to. <laughs> and <that's, laughs> that actually does cause inefficiencies um, because yeah. it can really jam up the machines, make things harder for the workers. Um, so down that that line, it does get a little bit more complex. But the great news is there are resources that make this easy for us. They take the guesswork out. And once you're kind of habitual about it, it does start to feel kind of common sense in your brain. It's just that initial learning mm-hmm. curve to understand. And then um, in addition to resources like that, there's a lot of venues that are popping up to take some of those harder to recycle materials. So I know grocery stores all across the country will accept those plastic bags back, for example. Right, right. And uh-huh. they have a means to recycle those, even though uh, curbside doesn't. So there are ways right, to okay. be invested in these different ways that that is easy for the homeowner because I think that's the or renter or individual right, um, right. and that's what I really want to get across whenever I'm talking about climate solutions is it doesn't have to be hard um, right. and the more that we buy into okay. these systems the more that the systems will work for us um, so well I'm very concerned about this thing I just learned about black plastic because um, all my takeaway food right the base is that black plastic. Well, and I will double check for you if that's true in Rhode Island. I know it's true for our local materials recycling right. facility. Um, 
but yeah. And so, you know, if I try and find as many uses for those <laughs> as I can around my right. house, but yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I'm very fun. alarmed. Cause I, boy, anyone who does a fair amount of takeout ends up with the, yeah. Now don't most plastics have an indication on the bottom or the side that tells you that's a number with a little recycle arrows that tell you whether it can be recycled. It doesn't tell you whether it can be. It's just telling you the type of plastic it is. And that's one of the things that mm. gets really tricky because you see those arrows and you're like, great. It's recyclable. It's recyclable. Throw it in the bag. But it's yeah. actually the type of plastic that it is. And so, like I said, the more you do it and the more you're kind of in practice with it, the more intuitive it will be. Um, and there are catch-alls for these things. So <clears throat> when it gets to the facility, it's not like it just gets recycled, right? Like it's going to go through machines. There's people sorting it and things like that. So it's not that you have to be perfect, but you do relieve some of the burden on that process, the better you yeah. are at recycling. Um mm. Another big thing that happens is people will recycle small items. Those are just going to fall through. At like the caps. The, is that the, why they tell us not to put the caps yeah. in? So you anything smaller than a credit oh. card is a good rule to follow. Um, Don't well. recycle something smaller than a credit or card. Or I always just screw your cap on, and then it can be recycled. Oh, then it can. All right. Oh. So if you attach it. Oh, isn't that Damn, fabulous? This is enlightening. <laughs> I've been no. throwing the caps in the trash because I'm like, I, I've heard that you can't put those in the same bag with all the bottles. Yeah, but you just okay. throw it on. It'd be fine. So if okay. folks, again, if they go to your website, is there a link in your recycling part to, you were describing this yes, source in Massachusetts? Yeah, and I'll make sure yeah. that I send you the link so you can directly okay. link to it too. It's an awesome. amazing, amazing resource. I've used it so many times. And listen, I live and breathe this work. And every right. once in a while, mm -hmm. I'll find myself at the bins thinking, Okay. Does this go in? Which yeah. one? And I'm like, gosh, if this is hard for me, it's got to be hard right, for everyone. Right. And part of why it's hard for me, honestly, is I'm overthinking. <laughs> point. But I do want to empower people to make these choices in their day to day because it also is a visual reminder of the work we have to do. So when you start removing right. your food scraps from your trash, for example, you realize just how many there are. We see that with individuals like you and me all the time. We see it even more with restaurants where they'll say, I don't have any food scraps. And then they actually start the process and they realize just how much is being thrown away. Mm. And there's a cost implication there. And so sure. that will encourage root to stem, meaning that they're going to try and use those products as much as possible so that they're not losing that money. They're just throwing away money at that point. It will encourage them to maybe mm. reduce portion sizes. You know, when I make French fries, a third comes back every single time. Okay, maybe we start to reduce the portion size. Um, so that would help everyone. That also helps the consumer. <laughs> it does help the consumer. We don't need to be eating all those French fries. <laughs> um, depends on the day <laughs> I guess it does some of the other things that we recycle because I know for Dawn being in the textile industry um, you know what what are some of the, the thoughts about pe what people should do with their clothing for instance or other things you have around mm. the home that you might recycle yeah so Massachusetts actually just um, implemented a textile waste ban um, specifically Ooh. to address this, that's for the commercial sector. Um, but I think it's a common misconception that clothes are not recyclable and they actually are. So um, obviously donate what you can, but the end sites for donations do have a means to recycle those. And so they'll be used for um, fill for things like pillows and blankets and things like that. Uh -huh. um, 
some places actually use textile recycling for buildings, for insulation and things like that. Um, so uh-huh. it's definitely um, a donate or recycle item for sure. And I, you know, I see around my area, all types of places to donate clothing in these bins, um, large metal bins that are marked for different organizations. And I have to admit, I've always thought, oh, these are going to be reworn somewhere, but you're, you're saying they're actually taken somewhere and just kind of broken down. It depends. So, um, yeah. The first intent is that they're reworn and that food waste hierarchy I talked about at the beginning kind of applies here too. Um, First, you know, reduce what you're buying, then try and use it to clothe um, people. Um, I don't know that you would want to clothe animals. So then we might get off (laughs) base. Well, my doggy has pajamas. That's true. You know, it could be a whole (laughs) uh, new business. Well, you know what? On on that whole topic, there are now many young companies, um, kind of startups, but they're out there who are trying very hard to produce textiles that are actually biodegradable, you know, right? Even plastics can, you can use corn. Um, there are lots of ways to make clothing and even home textiles. It's not simple and it's probably a little bit expensive, but you can make textiles that are biodegradable. There's all these very innovative, designers that are figuring out ways to use milk, to use thistle, to use hemp, to use all these other fibers that are grown that can then be woven. And when you want to get rid of it, you can put it in your compost, which is pretty amazing. Very amazing. Unfortunately, the, the bulk of what's out there is not biodegradable. It's synthetic, a lot of it. And so, yes, it's definitely better to find ways to donate it or, you know, cut it up and use it as insulation, as you say. Well, just wanted to put that out. And I think that, you know, a lot of what's happening in climate right now is it's not going to be absent behavior change. And that is the hardest part is behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that act of starting to compost does require a behavior change. But once you do it and it's habitual, it's very easy. The same is true about consumption in general. You know, we're in a a culture that buys, is convenient. We want things fast. Mm -hmm. We want things now. Um, So shifting Mm -hmm. maybe from, okay, I'm going to buy new things to I'm going to shop in my closet first, then I'm going to go to the thrift store, then I'm going to see. And what is great is, There are lots of companies coming online, which are allowing you to thrift the same way that we're used to shopping in general. So we can buy, Mm -hmm. use anything. And I often find myself thinking everything that we need has already been made. Like it's already I agree. So if we can find those things, it's going to create such a ease of burden on our resources. Mm. Um, But it does require a behavior change. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't acknowledge that. But I also wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't acknowledge that we are totally capable to do that and that we are completely empowered to make those choices and that those choices are so simple and the impact is so large that we should all feel like we can do it because the urgency is there. It's real. Um, But like I said, like we have the opportunity to be agents of change and we should take this into our own hands because we can yeah well let me say this i'm older than you are and me growing up as a teenager there was no such thing as curbside pickup or recycling or thinking about compost posting or 
you know, plastic waste, all of that. Nobody thought about it. Maybe if you were in the ecological conservation movements of the 70s, you did. But today, I don't throw things away. I have a bag for paper. I have right. a bag for, for plastic. I mean, I kind of have to. You have to put the bins out. If you don't put a blue bin out, they don't take your green bin, at least in Bristol. <laughs> right. Which that's, so, I mean, and that's a great, you know, that's the way to, to influence behavior, right? right. So. right. Well, it's that whole opt out, opt in, you know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let's because um, there is so much to talk about and we are beginning to run low on time. I really want to oh, get no. to the other part of um, what I want to discuss was which is deconstruction, um, which is on your website, mm -hmm. Emily, and also the store that you have um, where people can buy used. Um, I was going to say appliances, but it's really just used products, right? Yeah. If you think of like a big box uh, building material store, hardware store, just everything's donated. So think of, um, or it could be like a Goodwill, but building materials. It's right. just awesome. like that. Really awesome. And so maybe you could tell us what's deconstruction? Yeah. So um, we're probably all familiar with demolition. So that's, you're going to start a remodel. You come in with your sledgehammers, you knock down all the cabinets, you throw them in a big dumpster, they go to the landfill. Um, in deconstruction, you carefully dismantle and you donate as much and salvage as much as you can. And then places like ours, though we're certainly not unique and we're certainly not the only one, sell those back into the community at deeply discounted rates. So cabinet sets is a perfect example. They're designed now to be easily installed and therefore easily uninstalled. And so it takes, okay, a little bit more time, sure. But mm -hmm. if you think about the size of a kitchen, even a small kitchen like mine, but if you think about the size of a kitchen, it's a really interesting visual around removing that from landfills and just putting it into someone else's house instead. And what it does is a few things. One, for the contractor or homeowner, um, it reduces your disposal fees because you don't need that big dumpster. Um, our organization actually picks materials up like that for free. Uh, it. What about, just if I could interject, what about though, like building materials, sheetrock? Yep. When you're doing demo, it's not just the, the kitchen cabinets. Okay, so, it's a messy. Yep. So... Um, good question. So for it to go to reuse, we're really talking about um, cabinets, flooring, fixtures, things that you can take out. When we're talking about, sure. um, and honestly, we have gone down to the studs before, but with things like sheetrock, that is where, um, and we have some experts on this at CET, on construction and demolition experts, um, and they will actually help find and facilitate like sheetrock recycling. So that's a hard product to reuse, wow. yeah, but recycling yeah. does exist. And the best way I've seen, and I, I'm starting to get out of my depth a little here because we have whole, like I said, experts on this, Right. but um, we did a project at a building. They were remodeling an old facility into uh, condos, for example, okay. affordable condos. Um, so they just set up a shipping container and then they had their typical dumpsters and they sorted it on site. So rather than throwing okay, everything wow. into a dumpster, all the sheetrock went into one, all of the reused building materials went into one, everything else went into the dumpster. And what that allowed was when it was time to recycle that sheetrock, the sheetrock hauler could just come pick that up and take it to their facility. So that relieves a lot of that burden. And it's really, it's again, we're trying to make it easy for the user or for the individual that's at did you help that construction company yeah um you know yeah. set all that so up that's a wow. um 
free assistance that we offer is to um, wow. provide that. Um, so that's that hand holding that I was talking about, where we yeah. say, okay, here's how you're going to do this. Um, and it, I will say one of the things that gives me hope every day is we find these champions. You know, you don't necessarily think of contractors as climate champions, but here they are mm. actively recycling everything that they can from their job site because who understands the value of building materials more than contractors? More than builders. Right. <laughs> and so we've been able to facilitate that recycling. And for the contractor, you know, I'm always like, is this hard? they're like, what's the difference between chucking everything in a dumpster and chucking something in two dumpsters, right? Like, it's not that complicated. And one of the things I saw in that project that was really interesting is they just had these big carts that they were wheeling around so that it would just have a couple carts in each room. They needed those anyway to get it down to the dumpster so they can just sort it right where they're working. And that relieves some of it. I think it's just people. so great because, you know, I do a lot yeah. of renovation additions mm. and there's just, you know, a tremendous amount of sheetrock that needs to be removed. Yeah. And the thought of it not all just going in a dumpster, I mean, it's got to be, it's a messy product, it's heavy, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, um, and I will add here, this is where everything starts to tie together, and I actually get goosebumps when I think about it, but <laughs> when you're building high performance with renovations and additions, one of the things you're looking for is how many new and used materials, materials. are part of that, and so this is how you see waste and energy really start to form this kind of cycle where they're really very connected. And that's where we really need to be thinking about decarbonization in general. And CET works in energy and waste as pillars of decarbonization. And obviously there's a lot more, but that's where the reason we work in that space is when we're thinking about the built environment, eventually you get to a point where those two things actually do become quite connected. And if we can help on either side of that, it really starts to mitigate some of those um, impacts as well. Yeah, no, it's totally, it's fantastic. Wow. Um, what, um, you, we haven't said that much about the store. Can we just tell folks a little bit more yep. about? Yep. So if um, you're doing one of those remodel additions, et cetera, and you're taking out materials, um, our store, we have the best trucking crew in the world, I think, and they come and pick it up for free. They bring it to our store because we are a climate organization. We do have some rules around what we take. We won't take single pane windows. We'll only take low flow toilets. Yes, we sell toilets. I always say we take everything and the kitchen <laughs> sink. Um, and then we resell it into the community. And so it reduces disposal costs for the contractor. It reduces the carbon impacts of throwing all of those materials away. And it makes home improvement more affordable for more people. So it really works in three different ways, at least, probably more. Um, and what's also nice about that is not only is it making home improvement more affordable, but quality home improvement more affordable. So mm. um, one of the comments I get a lot is like, well, you could get that cheaper at X place. And I'm like, well, not actually, because this is solid wood construction. This is like dovetail drawer joints. This is soft closed drawers, right. like all of those features that boost a, something as simple as a cabinet set into that $30,000, dollars $50,000 range, then we're able right. to sell at a really affordable price point. And people. you're located where, again? So, Springfield. Yeah, so the um, showroom is in Springfield, Mass., uh, but we are online and um, online. Okay. So, and we'll ship um, items that it is cost effective and environmentally sound to ship from our website. Mm -hmm. And then um, for some things that are pickup only, one of the services we offer is uh, what we call a 
virtual appointment or personal shopping appointment where you can actually do a video call with someone and really make sure this is something you want before you do the whole drive to see it. Wow. Because um, Springfield's actually a really convenient loca- location for the Northeast. It's kind of in the middle of everything. Um, so we get buyers from Manhattan and Vermont mm-hmm. and Rhode Island and Boston. But before they make that drive, they want to make sure that it's something that's really going to fit. They want to see the inside. And so those little right. video consoles oh, yeah. can make a big difference. Um, just so I'm clear, the actual deconstruction part um, that you mentioned that you guys can help facilitate, is that strictly in Massachusetts or is that in other parts of New England? Or So it's um, the deconstruction. We will accept donations within a hundred mile radius of the store. Okay. We don't do the deconstruction, but we can certainly help educate the contractor on what that means. And so okay. we have two um, reps whose whole job is to talk to contractors to help introduce them to this. It's throughout the Northeast. They create connections. Okay. They work with the contractor. They explain how it works, what we're asking of them. So a lot of our larger donations actually do come from contractors who now have this just kind of baked into how they serve their customers and clients. So when they're working with a client, they say, you know, we can demo it, but have you heard of deconstruction? Let's connect you. The other way it can work is if I'm a homeowner and I'm doing a remodel, I can say to my contractor, I want to do deconstruction. And if they don't know what that means, I can connect them with the resources. Um, But typically I do find that builders are right on board. They don't want to throw this stuff away any more than we do. My son is a carpenter, a builder, and he is at Rhode Island Recovery two or three times a week. Yep. Because every job, like you know, Katie, every job, there's waste, and he's got to get rid of it, whether it's sheetrock or cabinets or whatever. So I'm actually going to talk to him. (laughs) You can give him my phone number. (laughs) Okay. This has been so informative, Emily. I'm so glad that you were available to come on and share. You know, obviously there's a lot more to know and learn about this, but we have, um, we're happy to to have had the time that we have to to have tapped your brain and gotten some more info here. Um, And I know you've already sent me a number of links um, that I will include on the companion blog post for this. And then we'll just talk about um, maybe some graphics or imagery that Mm -hmm. might make sense. but this has been so great. Thank you so much. Really, yeah, excellent. Maybe down the road, a part two. I would love to do a part two, and I'd love to get one of our building scientists in. I think that would be really Ooh. fun. Yeah. So again, we just went down this one channel today. Yeah, yeah. we were really just right. talking about the waste reduction part. We did not go into the energy uh, performance part, um, which we could do another time. You know, Don and I mm-hmm. have touched on that tangentially, mm-hmm. but it might be nice to have. Yeah. Um, I think you know, that's expert could be from CET. Pretty sure. Cool. And I. I will send, so I can definitely send like some photos of different compost setups. That sounds like it could be useful. Great. I'll send something about vermicomposting. Um, (laughs) You should. You should totally. (laughs) And I can also um, look up, because are most of your listeners in Rhode Island probably? I think so, Dawn. I mean, we are right on the border of Massachusetts. So you have a little. It's a Rhode Island, Massachusetts kind of. So I can find... um, So I know, for instance, we do have an EPA grant specific for Rhode Island where we're working with businesses to reduce waste of food, but I think probably through my contact, I can find out like what curbside opportunities and things like that are available. Great. Yeah. I know just from your website, there's some good graphics when you go into the waste reduction channel. If if you could share some of those graphics with us. Yeah, and I've got some good construction ones too, I think. 
Okay, help. great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you, Emily. It was a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Right. Awesome. All right. Take care. All right. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.